Welcome to the M&A Cornercast, a podcast focused on the world of mergers and acquisitions, helping inform the business owners and advisors we work with every day. I'm your host, Chuck Dallas. I have more than 10 years of experience with mergers and acquisitions, both from a corporate perspective and as an outside advisor. It is my pleasure to introduce Greg Gauthier, a friend of mine that's a partner with Foxwood Associates, a management advisory firm here in Green Bay. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Chuck, and thank you. Glad to have you here. So, Greg, give us a little bit of background on yourself, and if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about Foxwood Associates as well. Sure, sure, we will do. Well, I've been in this area for 30 years probably, and been in business ownership since 1995. Okay. Ten years after that, I uh, was selling that company a friend of mine. I asked me what I was going to do. The two of us, both of us were leaving our companies at the time. And we decided that we were going to do what we probably the only thing we knew how to do. And that was maybe give some advice from the experience that we had. And that was really the origin of Foxwood Associates in 2005. Foxwood Associates is really an organizational development, leadership development company. We used to have a tagline in our firm that was practical business advice from experienced business operators. And that's really what we were. Back in the early years, we just did a lot of general help to companies. A lot of it was helping them just with some challenges and problems they were facing. What we discovered in that process was almost every challenge that a business faced in its operation or preparing it for sale would ultimately come back to the way the leadership was making its decisions, running its organization. And more and more, we found ourselves working in that space of how do we lead the organization? What do we think in the organization? And how is that influencing the results we get? And that became probably 80% of our work today. Interesting beginnings. That's nice to hear. So, Greg, 2020 has been a challenging year. Some industries have actually flourished during the pandemic and others have been brought to their knees. What are you advising your clients during these tumultuous times? Most of my clients probably have sales under $50 million. So I would call them, you know, that's still a large company. Right. But in that $25 million and on down, those are small businesses. Yeah. In those areas, I'm really advising them to not be so much influenced by what's going on nationally. They're small enough yet that their markets are expandable. Yep. We can be in a declining industry and when we're that small, still grow our business. Now, we have to be doing something different and better than our competition is doing, but we can grow in a declining market or in a recessionary period when we're that size. If we're a large organization, if we're certainly a large publicly traded company, they're really the economy. We drive the economy. And when the economy's slow, we may be slow too. Sure. But in small organizations, we ought to be able to grow despite what's going on nationally. I'm not saying it's easy right. or that we can continue to do even just what we were doing. We may have to pivot and do something different, look at different markets, develop different strategies. But I think the worst thing that a small or mid-market company can do during difficult times is throw up their arms and say, well, I guess we just have to wait until this is all over and right. then and then things will return to normal. Yep. Oftentimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it can have tragic endings too yep. for a business. You're exactly right. You have to be adaptable to what's going on, whether it be the economy or your industry. It doesn't mean we aren't smart and doesn't mean we don't have to develop contingency plans. In fact, it wouldn't be smart not to develop contingency plans, but also it wouldn't be smart to assume a fatalistic or adverse or doom and gloom 
attitude in, in the organization yeah. either. In the companies that I advise and those I get around to, I would say most of them are doing well. Now, I don't work in the retail space. Sure. I don't work in the real estate market. I would imagine there, they're facing some challenges that an advisor isn't going to really be able to help them with. Sometimes when you don't have customers, you just can't go out and create a market where one doesn't exist. Right. And, and if the company doesn't have the reserves and the resources in order to sustain itself until such time as it can find a new market or develop a new strategy, that's really tough. But there are companies in 2020 that are doing very well. Yeah. that are not only employing all of their employees, but really could do more work if they could get more employees as well. Right. And, yeah. and I'm seeing more of that than companies that are struggling through it. Yeah, some are hampered by the supply chain. Absolutely. It, you know, if, if they could get their raw materials in, they could be doing very well, but that's part of the problem. And, you know, Greg, I know you and I have talked in the past. I mean, Foxwood does some turnaround management uh, yeah. and help people out. I mean, this is a good time to dip into somebody that can help individuals that are struggling, right? Well, I think there's two things going on right now. One is there is still a portion of that baby boomer generation that is looking to transition out. Right. That is independent of the pandemic and the economic times we're in right now. They're yeah. still getting out. Those owners have a tough decision to make. So let's just say for a moment that their business is flat. Maybe their business is even down a little bit as a result of what's going on. They've got to decide, do I have the energy? Do I have the will left in me to probably go another two or three years? Because because we might be in this pandemic-influenced economy for another six months, 12 months perhaps, right. and then how long will it take to recover the business to the point where it will have the value that they wanted to get for the plans they had in their retirement? Right. So owners are having to make that decision. And when you have an ownership group that's you know in its early 60s or so, you know now is the time when they're deciding, I think it's best maybe to market my business. So the times are really good to, for a company to look at its balance sheet, look at its, the way in which it runs itself, you know, how well proceduralized in it, how well developed are its products and its markets, what's systems do they have in place? Are our employees trained? Right. You know, do we have a culture that is able to attract new employees and retain the ones we have? All of those things add value to a business. And if you've got that going for yourself, right now can be still be a very good time to sell a business. There's money out there. There's buyers out there. Right. And for those companies that have put in the time, the effort, and sometimes the financial investment over the years to build a pretty good organization, even though the performance may not be where they want it to be right now, I think smart buyers can see through that. Yeah. Smart buyers can see through the current performance of the business to its potential. And that potential lies in all of those things we talked about. How well documented are we? How well planful are we? How is our culture? How is our employee retention, customer retention, customer growth? Do we know our customers? Do we know our target markets? Yep. Companies that have thought that through and have put that in place, I think are right now and almost really in any economy can sell their business and sell it for what their business is worth. Right. And we've talked about that with other guests on here, Greg, that, you know, you just don't wake up one morning and say, boy, it's time for me to sell. It's taking some time, visiting with the right people, get the right team pulled together to really oh. do the sale proper. Yeah, my experience has been, and I've helped a number of companies transition to new ownership. And, and it didn't start off that way. They didn't call me asking me to help them position their company for sale. They asked me to help them solve a problem. And most of them were financial in nature. Yeah. But the financial problem was more a function of maybe poor execution, maybe the loss of key customers or the inability to develop new customers to replace 
old customers. Right. And my position with the owners is we can fix this. We can put this company back on track, but it'll take us maybe 12 months, maybe 24 months for some of the strategies that we can put in place to really mature and get the results. Now, do you have the energy to do that? Right. Do you have the, do you yeah. have the energy? Can you roll up your sleeves, develop the enthusiasm, inspire your organization, and oversee the execution of the strategies we can develop to see it through? I think it'll work. In a couple of cases, it's, yeah, I, I agree it'll work. I just don't have the juice to do it. And then we went to sell the business. I think it ended pretty well for them in each case. My experience has been when an owner is really not thinking about and not preparing their business for sale, whether that business is going to sell in two years or 20 years, when they're not doing that, it's easy to get a distorted view of what your company might be worth. Maybe, right. And oftentimes, and I say this not facetiously, but truly, when I've talked with company owners and I ask them, well, what, what do you think your company's worth? And how did you arrive at that valuation? The answer has been around the conversations they've had with their financial planner and what they need to sell the business for in order to fulfill the lifestyle they're going to have in retirement. And then they come and talk to a M&A company or a transaction advisor who tells them what the company is likely to be worth in the the marketplace. And they've got a tough decision to make. Oh my goodness. Do I get okay? How do I get my head wrapped around a number that's different than what I had hoped for? Right. Or Am I willing to go back in and put a couple more years into there to restructure the balance sheet and change the numbers on the P&L and the balance sheet in order to create the value that's going to be necessary to be there to get what I want for the company? Exactly. Again, that's all part of that planning process. There can be that gap between what you really need to live that lifestyle that you want it to live and what your business is worth. You know, that's why I advocate and I believe it's really important, even an entrepreneur, even a startup. As soon as you got that business started up, you ought to start thinking about how are you preparing the business for transition? Right. And, you know, some people say, well, I don't plan to sell my business for 20 years. That's okay. If you prepare and run your business today as if you're preparing it for sales, those companies tend to run better, be more profitable and succeed at a higher rate than those that don't. And the truth of the matter is, is I think a lot of owners believe they have control over when they're going to sell their business. And some do, but everybody thinks they do. But health issues, divorces, a pandemic or an economic recession beyond the reach or control of that business owner can sometimes force a company into a sales situation. Right. And if you haven't been positioning your business for sale, even when it wasn't for sale, now you've got a business that is going to be worth what it's worth, but certainly not worth what its potential is. Right. You're exactly right. It's some of those factors out there. Greg, you're so spot on that whether you want to call it a transition or a succession plan, something can happen. And, right. and why not be prepared for it? You mentioned succession planning and Succession planning is important even when transition isn't on the table or being considered. Right. Succession planning, even if it's only to give that owner the opportunity to go fishing more or golfing more. You know, if you don't build a strong organization, an organization that you can go on vacation and know that it's being well tended to while you're gone, that's hard work in a company. When you have to be thinking about business when you're not there because you're not confident that those that are there are going to be able to do the right things, that's hard work. And getting a business off the ground, 
that's difficult. Everyone who owns a company knows how tough it is, especially the first generation, knows how tough it is to get through those critical years. For all the work and toil that you put in to get through those few, those difficult seven, 10, 15 years, you deserve the right to go fishing or golfing and not have to worry about the place. Yeah, and, if you're putting down your fishing pole right. to answer the telephone, it's not relaxing, right? It's Right. It's time the company starts paying you back a little bit for right. what you've done for the company. And that means we've got a team of people who understand how we operate, who understand where we're going, who can cooperate, work with one another, that the organization is structured properly, that we've got the appropriate skill sets within the company, that we've been diligent about creating policies and procedures and practices from how we talk to one another to how we maintain quality, how we ship things out. The more we can codify, whether it's written down or just understood orally, but the larger we get, the more important it is to write it down so everybody can be on the same page. But the more we we think about the way in which we do things, the better off we're going to be. We're going to get greater consistency. And with consistency comes predictability in both our earnings, quality, customer service. We're not taking as, as many chances when we kind of put a structure and systems around the way we run the business. And, and by the way, that is where the value is. Right. When you do that, the value comes back to you and stronger cash flow certainly is reflective in higher profits and earnings. Yeah, if you're going to think about selling your business, that's where the goodwill lives in in the company. We were talking a little bit about this before the mic was on, but you know, having a solid management team to back you up can really help out an individual as they're looking to transition. So it's just what you're stating, Greg, is I can rely on whether it be my office manager or my operational manager to run things the way that I want it to be run so I can step away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I and my partners have bought a number of companies over the years and we still have them today. And I can tell you, and any buyer will tell you that what they're looking for when they come to an organization is to have as few things to fix on the day they get there. Right. right? So knowing that I've got a competent working team, they don't have to be the best, but there's a competent organization that's already there. They know their customers. They get along with one another. They seem pretty smooth in the way they execute the functions of the business. So I don't have to come in and fix the organization. They know who their customers are. They know who their target market is. Great. I don't have to come in and determine that. They account for their their business. In other words, they got reasonable bookkeeping. You don't have to have sophisticated accounting, but maybe you've got a good bookkeeper and you've got an outside accounting firm to supplement that. Okay. We know that that's under control. We're counting all the numbers correctly. Right. That's what an owner wants because then the owner is able to come in and not focus on fixing, but focus on moving the company from where it is to where they believe it can be. So we can work on new markets, new products, new relationships and synergies with other organizations. Right. That's what the owners are buying the company for anyway. So having to fix it when you get there or fill a gap is only a distraction from what you have to do. And as a buyer, and I think most buyers would agree with me, if I look at an organization and I'm seeing things that I have to fix before I can really start doing what it is I want the company to do for me, that's going to be discounts coming off of the price of the business. Right. And I don't blame you. I mean, it, you know as well as I do, it's, is the employee force ready to transition to a new owner. So if you have the crabby operational manager that says, this isn't the way we've done this over the years, this is not going to work. You almost have, I hate to say, a cancer within the business. And so you have to deal with it from a management perspective. So sometimes having the ability to bring in a brand new 
manager that is coming in with your thoughts and your ideas really helps you out, doesn't it? Absolutely, because to change any performance aspect of the business and its subsequent results means we have to change the culture of the business. Right. And we can't change the culture of the business with the old thought process and the old beliefs and the old habits in place. So someone new has to come in. Somehow we have to change the way we think in the organization. Now, sometimes there are people already in the organization who think the way you do, but they were suppressed under the old leadership. Right. And as soon as you discover that, those people can rise up to either have more influence or responsibility, but at least have their voice heard. Right. And you find those in the organization. But yeah, to your point, if what we've done over the years, because maybe the way in which we ran the company left us with adverse selection, everybody who couldn't get a job somewhere else is still working here. Right. right? That's, a, <laughs> that's a big job. And there's going to be a lot of work in replacing some of that organization in order to get it to where you want. You know, we are okay purchasing turnaround companies. We're we're okay buying broken organizations. Just like some people, I know you're a car guy. You're okay buying a car for sale on the side of the road that's not in very good condition, but you can look at it and say, you know, I can see how I can fix that. I know what I need to do. Some of it I can do myself. Some I can get others to do. But you can see the future in that organization. The vision. The vision. And in turnaround situations, I can see the future and the vision in that organization organization too, but I'm not going to pay the restoration price. (laughs) I'm going to pay the price of what that vehicle or what that business is worth today in its current condition. And my eyes are wide open. Right. I have a really good idea of how much work it's going to take and what I'm going to be facing yep. in order to get it back into its working or restored condition again. Yeah, and it's a great analogy. I do that all the time with the, the muscle cars that I look at, is when somebody has that huge price because they've watched TV and saw what some of these cars are selling for, I will say to them, it's obvious you have never restored a car before because it is a minimum of twenty five to $30,000. And so, when we're talking businesses, it's the same thing. What is needed within the business, whether it be employees or capital expenditures, whatever it may be, you need to take that into account when you're buying. Yeah, the value of a business. When one of my boys was young, he collected baseball cards and he'd come running into the living room and with his new baseball card. And at that time, the kind of the book that told you what the value of the baseball cards, I think, was the Beckett book. And he would come in with his copy of the Beckett book and he'd say, Dad, Dad, look, this card is worth $100. And my response response to him is, son, that card is worth what somebody will pay you within the time frame you have to sell it. <laughs> Good advice. You know, and, it, and it applies to businesses too. Right. And, and you're right. And some owners, and I understand They've just not been shown. Maybe they've not been educated. It's not their fault. But, you know, how many times does someone sell a business in their life? Once. Right. Most people sell a home a couple times. And, you know, the first time you sell a home, you're kind of ignorant about the home selling process. But by the second time, you're pretty wise to how it's done. And you're a lot better at selling a house the second time than you are the first time. But most people sell a business only once in their life. So they come to it with a lack of information. They come into it with misinformation. They come in uninformed about the process. And one of the things is the way in which they look at value. And sometimes, and to your point, sometimes their value is not in what is the business worth today, but 
what do they think it'll be worth if you fixed it? You know, I've worked with sellers who have said, if you do A, B, and C, you know, you're going to have a lot more sales and a lot more profits. I say, yeah, you're probably right, but I really probably not going to pay you for my hard work. Right. Or another alternative is you could do those same things. You'd probably have to spend a year or two doing it, but you could do those, get the business more profitable, larger, whatever it might be. And then you're right. It is worth that. And I would be paying you that value for it, but I'm buying something different than than what I'd be buying today. Right. And we've talked about that on this podcast in the past. When you do a discounted cash flow and you look at what it would be into the future. And I've done that evaluation for a corporation I worked for at one time. And you have to pare back some of that excitement to say, well, what if you can't achieve those levels? And therein you have to strike the balance because the buyer is paying for the future too. The buyer is really paying for their expectation of future cash flows. Right. So when you think about buying a company, what's the first thing we do? In fact, when I look at a company, one of the last things I want to do is actually see the business and meet the owners because <laughs> that becomes an emotional connection. And right. I don't want to be connected emotionally until I'm convinced rationally that I think this is a pretty good opportunity. Now let's go see it. So if you think about what's the first thing we do as buyers. As a buyer, if I'm working with a company you're representing, I'm going to take your financial information. I'm going to plug in that chart of accounts into my own spreadsheet. Yep. And I'm going to plug in my own what I think are reasonable growth scenarios. And I'm certainly going to value the business based on my reasonable growth scenario. And that's how I'm going to establish value. doesn't mean that the company, that's what it's worth. That's what it's worth to me. Right. If I'm a financial buyer, I'm going to value that business differently or should be valuing it differently than a strategic buyer. So it's not that I'm right and the strategic buyer is wrong or I'm wrong and they're right. It's that we're looking at it from two different perspectives. So we're going to value that business differently. But it's going to be off of our value valuation of the business based on our reasonable assumption of the future cash flow projections, sales, and what we believe the company is going to do. And certainly the way in which we can restructure the expenses and things all for the profitability of the business. So when an owner says, well, I don't think that's enough. I go, well, we're probably just looking at it differently. You're as right as I am. You're just looking at its future differently than I'm looking at the future. Greg, excellent insight. Thank you very much for sharing with us your background with turnaround management and what you're doing with purchasing businesses for your firm. So folks, we've had Greg Gauthier, partner with Foxwood Associates, firm here in Green Bay. Thank you very much for your time today, Greg. Thank you, Chuck. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you for tuning in to the M&A Cornercast. Hopefully we gave you some insight into the world of mergers and acquisitions. We'll see you back again next Thursday with a brand new episode. 